This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show one one zero. I don't even I don't interview the um, the people who are actually going to be living in the house, so I don't deal with applications or background checks or or any of those things. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co host. It's Brandon. What up, B? What up, Jay? You got to be, are, are we not tired of that introduction yet? You know, we got we to gotta spice this up. Oh, yeah. How are we supposed to spice it up? Should we get some salsa music? Some we should dancers? get some music. We should get some music and be like, you know, like, I don't know. Here comes Josh and Brandon. Here comes Josh and Brandon. Nice. I like, I like it. it. I like it. Well. All right. Somebody record it and send it our way. We'll do it. <laughs> okay. All right, man. Good show uh, ahead today, man. We got lots of uh, interesting strategies to talk about, don't we? We do. This is a cool one. This is uh, something that I, I latched onto because in my landlording, it, it gets a little bit stressful and there's a lot of hassle sometimes. Yep. And today our guest actually uses the word called or a phrase called the hassle factor and yep. talks about how to eliminate it. And his strategy has almost no hassle. And you guys are going to love this. It's great. Yeah, it's really smart. Really, yeah. really brilliant. Uh, brilliant. You know, we haven't talked to anybody about this and, and, uh, man, I love doing these interviews and learning new stuff. It's yeah. just, it's awesome. It's yeah. awesome. Me too. Well, trivia, let's do it. Let's Today's do it. trivia is all right, last week's show, we sat down with Scott Smith, an attorney, a very smart one from Austin, Texas. Or so we think. We think. He seems pretty smart to me. Who taught us how to protect ourselves from that inevitable situation of getting sued. On the show, Scott mentioned uh, a certain kind of trust that he said was as good as an offshore account. So what was the name of that trust? If you think you know, send an email to trivia at biggerpockets.com for your chance to win the digital version of the book on investing in real estate with no and low money down written by yours truly. And if you want to pick there up a copy go. of that without doing the trivia, biggerpockets.com slash no money. Check it out. There you go. Nice stuff. Nice stuff. All right. Well, let's get to this. Today's guest, Glenn McCrory. Glenn McCrory, I have a hard time saying it, is a landlord from the great state of Iowa who has a unique and very appealing niche in the real estate space. Glenn was recently able to quit his job and is kind of running that hassle-free landlording business that we had alluded to earlier. I think you're going to love it. There's really just a whole lot of cool stuff uh, to gain from the show. So uh, I know I'm excited to introduce him and let's bring him on board uh, very quickly before we do. This is biggerpockets.com slash show 110. This is actually biggerpockets.com podcast show 110, but you can find the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 110. And uh, we've got notes there. If you want to ask questions uh, to our guest, uh, feel free to do that over there. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. 
With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as Quantum Fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability. Service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes, and fees are excluded from Price for Life offer and may be increased. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop, one of the largest commercial real estate finance and advisory services firms in the nation. As an unparalleled leader in commercial real estate, CEO Willie Walker frequently appears as an expert on major platforms like CNBC and the New York Times. He's even been on the Bigger Pockets podcast network too. On the Walker webcast, you'll hear from guests like A-Rod, renowned economist Dr. Peter Linneman, and experts from Walker and Dunlop's capital markets, research, and investment sales groups. So fire up the Walker webcast on your favorite podcast app or join live on Wednesdays to see Willie interact with his guests. Plus, you can always catch the replay on demand afterward. Stay ahead of the curve with insights for life from the Walker webcast. Learn more and subscribe to the Walker webcast at walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. And be sure to follow Walker and Dunlop on all your favorite social media channels too. That's walkerdunlop.com slash pockets. And uh, with that, why don't we bring him on? All right, Glenn, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you here. Well, thanks, guys. It's surreal and a pleasure to be talking to you live. Cool. So, yeah. It's surreal for me too, man. I see you wearing that <laughs> that shirt. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's freaking me out. Well, we got a foot of snow yesterday, so this is me in denial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. No, seriously, there. It's great to have you. We're really excited to chat with you. You've got a, a very unique strategy, and, and uh, we're looking forward to chatting about it. But uh, uh, before we go there, why don't we kind of talk about your background, how you became a, a real estate guy. What what'd you do beforehand and, and how'd you get started? Well, I, I joined the army right out of high school. Uh, I take back my comment on the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I joined the army right out of high school. That was 82, the recession going on back then too. So was in the army as an avionics mechanic, which is uh, working on airplanes and radios, autopilots, things like that. But so I did that for a while. Then I got out, worked for Boeing and for Delta, and uh, was an aircraft mechanic. But personality-wise, didn't really feel like that was the best fit. But I was just <laughs> trying to trying to make a living. <laughs> yep, nice. Yeah. So, um, but a funny story about Delta Airlines. I was I was uh, 25, and I got there, and you know, I got the uniform and the toolbox, and you walk out on the flight line. And you're there with a the guy that's. 65. He's got the same uniform, the same toolbox. And I think, I honestly think that's when the light kind of went ding. (laughs) (laughs) This is your life. That's when my wheels started turning. I I didn't find real estate for a while after that, but that's when the wheels started turning. 
Okay. Nice. Okay. So, so how did you eventually kind of get there? Well, you know? well, I was, you know, I was going to school at night school and trying to get farther ahead at work and, you know, white collar job, thing like that, sales. And um, you're going to love this one. One of my coworkers told me about a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Nice. <laughs> when I nice. was in the, uh, two, 2003. So I read that and I was like, holy cow, I wonder if this guy knows my dad. I mean, my dad's the greatest guy in the world, but it's just exactly the same <laughs> You know, nice. depression era mentality, and yep. and I was already trying to find the answer, and uh, financially anyway, and so that just really resonated with me. So I, so I got all excited and did nothing for six months, and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but then I then I got my feet wet, and you start, my plan was to buy like one property a year, uh, but you know after after a while you start seeing that hey you could really turn this into no need for a job so. That's why I got a little more excited as time went on. Plus, you keep getting laid off. You know how it is. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's not nice. But yeah, no, yeah. I, 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 I no, get you. Yeah, the layoff thing sucks. I, I've got, uh, you know, we, we, we see that a lot in, you know, amongst folks in, in the fam, and it's frustrating. And, and it happens to a lot of people, regardless yeah. of how skilled you are. You know, you pick a job in, in an industry that's shifting or, or something's happening, and, and you find yourself in trouble. Um, so you, you you're you're ready. You you've been kind of bouncing around for the idea for six months. How'd you well, jump in? How'd you dive in? I, uh, <laughs> I I I decided that hey, I like Florida. And my sister's moving from Tampa to Fort Myers. I should buy a condo and rent it to her. Oh, good idea. Yeah, yeah it was a terrific <laughs> idea. What but year was I, this? Two thousand four. I did get her permission to tell this story though. Um, okay. <laughs> so, okay, good. So she had a job. She's getting transferred, and she, I said, "Well, I'll buy this little condo and a golf course, and rent it out to her, and you know, rent it out seasonally when she moves out, and someday when I retire, I could go use it." So, so she moved in and spent a couple thousand dollars putting in ceiling fans and carpets and all this stuff. And three months later, said was picking my wife and I up at the airport in tears, saying, "I quit my job today. I'm going, moving back to Tampa." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so I, you know, I go, well, at least, you know, you can't evict your sister. And so I didn't have a lease. And, you know, so we just worked together to get the place furnished up. And that was the year they had four hurricanes in, in 2004. So, you know, condo fees doubled, uh, special assessments, you know, pretty much anything that could go wrong did. But over the next few years, I just kept it and rented it seasonally. And, you know, it doubled in value in a matter of a few years. And since I wasn't smart enough to sell it, it, <laughs> <laughs> it dropped in value. <laughs> it dropped in value. So I still have Oh, it. there was a bubble, wasn't there? Was that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, is that what yeah, we're talking hindsight. about this whole? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I do okay. tell people that's the, probably the worst mistake I've made is I, you know, I left a hundred something thousand dollars, uh, you know, hanging out there. But, but I, I did take out a line of credit. I was smart enough to do that. And I, and I used that to buy four rental properties. And I still have all those today. And I still have the condo. And it's the only thing that loses money. But, my credit's intact, I guess. Yep. <laughs> well, I, I think that's one of the things yeah. that a lot of investors go through. I mean, like I've, I've been there. I have property, you know, at least one I, I can think of that's the same story. Well, I, I rented it to my brother-in-law, you know, but like it's a terrible property. It doesn't give me any money today. I have a lot of problems with it. But, you know, I don't know. It got me to where I am today. It, it got me moving on just like yours got you the line of credit that you were able to buy more properties with, uh, which I, I would actually love to touch on that subject here maybe in a minute, but maybe I can ask you about the family thing first. Like, why is that typically not a good idea to rent to family or friends? Well, because you're one big tool in the toolbox. Uh, if your landlord toolbox is, you know, evicting someone if you had to, and you know, you had to, 
You got to keep peace. I mean, I didn't have her sign a lease. I figured it's my sister. She's good for it. (laughs) And she did pay her rent for three months. So, and I get to keep the improvements she made and, you know, we're, we're in great terms. It's, you know, but we're in great terms because we didn't have a big blowout. And, uh, so I, I just going forward, and then you start reading books, and they say, "Hey, you know that thing you did? Don't do that." Yeah. And uh, so then you're like, "Oh, yeah." So, so I would be, I would help anyone in the family, and I'm always trying to get people to invest and read things, and but and friends and family and colleagues too. But I have not done any business deals with friends or colleagues, yeah. or so I just kind of keep that separate. You know, the, the last like friend that I rented to. Um, was like this couple that from that I knew from growing up when I was you know a kid, and they wanted to move out to my area, and so they said, "Hey, do you have anything to rent?" I said, "Actually, perfect. I have a property that you guys can rent for free. Just take care of the place." It was my apartment complex, and I mean, I love this couple to this day. They're one of my favorite people in the world. But when they moved in, I said, "There's only really one thing I ask is please do not move out in the middle of December, which is like four months in the future." And they're, you know, yeah, no problem. So when did they move out? Yeah. Middle of December. Right. Didn't get rented till like March first, I think. And like, I, it's like that same thing. Like, what am I going to do? I, I, I'm not going to lose a friendship over that, but it, you know, it cost me a couple of grand. Right. And so, well, which is why you don't get into those exactly, situations yep. in the first place. Right. Yep. Last yeah. time I ever did it was to that was that couple. And again, I love that couple, but you know, if they're listening, you guys rock. But like, it just it. But it, you guys screwed me. Really. Yeah, it was a couple. It was a it was a rough thing. So that, that's it. She did. She got pregnant, and like, I, you know. Moved home to be closer to family because it was a difficult pregnancy. Yeah, but makes sense. Still, yeah. I mean, they, every reason in the world. But had that not been a, you know, it would have probably turned out a little different. They would have had a lease and they would have had responsibilities more. So anyway. Yeah, nice, nice. Hey, Glenn. So, and I know, Brandon, you had some other stuff you wanted to kind of get into, but you had mentioned some of the worst things happening to you with that condo. And I just want to kind of dig in a little bit. You had talked about special assessments and and some other stuff. Um, explain that. How does that work? I've talked about it a few times over over the couple of years on the show, but um, it's it's nice. I've I got sucked with a, some small ones when I was in in condo uh, when I had a condo, uh, um, but but. I know some folks who've gotten really just rocked by those things. So tell, tell me about sure. your experience. The, uh, the assessment is uh, the condo association collects the fee, the, the homeowner association dues, and then they set money aside. And so like every year they set aside one fifteenth of a roof, what they think a roof would cost. And so 15 years from now, the money's squirreled away specifically for the roof and every so many years for the paint and so many years for this and that. So this one's run really well. But if three or four years after replacing the roof, there's a hurricane and it rips the roof off, not only do you have to, you don't have the money for the roof, but everybody needs a roof and the cost of that roof is twice what you were planning on. So then they just take the cost, divide it by the number of units and say, everybody write me a check. Yep. So, and what if, you, what if you don't write them a check? I think they can put a lien on your property. So yep. I just write the check. <laughs> But but if you can, I mean that's the problem, right? right? If you can't, you know, if you're running thin, which most most people do, right? Most people aren't sacking away, you know, tons of cash to store just in case a special assessment comes up. You know, I don't know. I think I think that's one of the big reasons that I kind of tell people to shy away from condos is those things are scary. But but at the same time, listen. You need cash to invest in buy and hold property. You have to have some kind of cash, whether it's yours or a line of credit or some kind of access to cash. And if you don't, you should not be in that business. I mean, you really, really need to make sure you have that, correct? That's right. You know, a lot of people think you can buy properties with no or low money down. <laughs> oh, boy. 
I, I, I said, I, I believe I saw that book in your screen just a moment ago. See, that's what I thought. See, he's just giving me a hard time. No, I believe I, I'm a hundred percent. And that's why I wanted to touch on what else you said there is, is you, the line of credit thing. Cause that's from that same kind of concept of creative investing. But no, I actually agree a hundred percent. You might be able to invest in real estate with no or low money down, but it doesn't mean you can invest in real estate when you're completely flat broke. Like, and I think I make that pretty clear in the first chapter of those people who have read it, you know, hopefully they agree with me on that one. But like, yeah, cause I, you have to have money for those things that come up cause they will come up. I mean, I know, I know somebody who got a house. Uh, what was the story? Now I don't remember the exact details, but it was something like they bought a rental and then like the very first month they had an eviction and it was a terrible eviction that took like nine months and they destroyed the house in the process. And it was like, a $8,000 or $10,000 um, hit on their very first month with their very first rental. Mm. Yeah. I mean, th- those things are unlikely, but it happens. I mean, it, oh, those yeah. things do happen. So again, yeah, even if you're going to invest creatively, make sure you have some kind of reserves. We, we, we only have had one, one horror story and it was similar to that where I, I, the lady wanted to rent the house and I said, well, I haven't made my decision yet, but she also painted. So I said, I need to have it painted. So I'll pay you to, to paint the inside of the house, uh, which involved me giving her a key. <laughs> Uh, yep. so, so here comes everybody, cats included. And, and oh, uh, so, really? I, yeah, oh, man. Looked, I mean, the, the cat in. part is really the freaky thing. <laughs> she actually, when I finally got rid of them, they abandoned the cat. And my wife and I had to find a home for the cat. Oh, you didn't yes. keep it? Come on, Terrible. Glenn, the cat she, guy. She's allergic to cats and dogs. So I'm allergic to cats and dogs. I, is that right? I suck it up. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> hey, Glenn, <laughs> still, yeah. go ahead. I was just saying it was her call on that. So. Yeah, smart, <laughs> yeah. smart. Well, so I, I, I want to kind of jump a little bit because we're, we're talking about special assessments. We're talking about condos. We're talking about Florida. Um, Florida is a place that scares me as, as a uh, potential investment. I mean, it's amazing. Listen, you know, people go there to die, right? I mean, you know, it's, I'm from New York. <laughs> I go if there for Disney world. I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. <laughs> I mean, if you're from New York and you hit like 55, you pretty much, you know, suddenly live in Florida. It's like, it's a law <laughs> or something like that. You have to do it. Right. You have to right. do it. But, uh, and f- yeah, obviously you're not dead at 55, you know, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, but Florida, you got those hurricanes and, and those things, you know, can really reap havoc. Uh, and so what's, what's your take on it? Have you bought other properties there? Obviously you got whacked by that one hurricane. What, what um, I did was uh, I did not, I haven't bought anything else there yet. You know, even when you're looking at cash flow, if your condo association fees 360 and you have a mortgage on top of that, it's, it's kind of tough to, to make money. But so what I learned was I, I really don't think that buying something sight unseen, uh, in Florida was, you know, anybody could write a check and do something like that. The, the trick was saying, okay. This isn't going well, but I was still convinced that real estate was the my means to an end. And so, you know, I told my wife, I said, you know, buying that second, third, fourth property uh, is is the trick, you know. So just say, hey, I know it's going to work, and I'm not going to do this again. I need to go buy some boring stuff in Iowa that cash flows, so I can go to Florida and hang out whenever I want. So that's we just changed gears, and I, I realized the difference between speculation and buying for cash flow. And that was my, my one, one mistake. <laughs> are you still, are you, so you're, are you losing money on that on a monthly basis then? I lose a few hundred dollars a month on that condo, but I got but you go of, and visit, right? Well, I go down and hang out for a few days and do a walkthrough and write the whole thing off like anybody would. So, right. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. So Brandon mentioned his property. You've got this property. Both of you guys are holding on to properties that in a lot of ways are losers, right? I mean, these are mm-hmm. properties that you guys are losing money on. 
for for those folks who are listening, Brandon just hid. Oh, there he is. Um, <laughs> like, why do you continue to do that? Like, I could see doing that with your property, Glenn. If I were to go say, you know what, I'm going to go out a couple, you know, a weekend, or I'm going to go out midweek for a couple days a month, and you know, get the, get the enjoyment out of the property. But is it because you guys are both emotionally tied to those properties because they kind of helped you hop off? Or I, I, I'm just curious. And and for those people listening. Should other people do if they're in a similar situation? Should they do what you're doing, or do you know that you shouldn't do what you're doing, and you just can't get out? And and I, I throw this to both of you guys. Well, I'll I'll say this: the reason I kept it was because it was going up like a rock. You know, when the when you pay when it doubles in value in three years, you think you look in the mirror and you see a real estate genius, right? So I was pretty excited about that, and yeah. and, and then I was smart enough, to, I think, to get a line of credit for ninety thousand dollars. So that allowed me to buy four bread and butter properties here in Cedar Rapids. So I just kind of look at it sort of as a portfolio. So then when the, the, when the market, uh, the bubble burst and it went down, you guys have heard of the concept of uh, underwater. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so then I had a first and a second and I was you know, upside down on it. And so I just, it was an interest only second. So I just kept it and just considered that a cost of capital and and uh, you put that with the other four properties I bought. I was I'm, I'm making money, and that's the goal. Yep. So, gotcha, so, Brandon. What's what's your take? Well, I'm a, I'm also like underwater, or at least like at an even point where it's worth about what I owe. Probably not. I'm probably a little underwater, but uh, I I don't know. I mean, like I'd have to bring money to the table to to get rid of it, which is a possibility. We considered that, knowing we call that our hell house because like we've had like five or six bad ones in a row tenants. It just seems to attract that type of person. Uh, so we had a choice. Do we want to get rid of it or do we want to give it to property management? We gave it to property management. That's the one I talked about a couple months ago. Yeah. Is one of the two I handed off because I mean, I lose, I actually break even on the cash flow on a like rent versus mortgage. Like my rent is uh, the rent we get on that place is like, I think it's eight fifty, and my mortgage is seven ninety. And then, you know, I think there's I think we pay water or something like that, right? So like we basically break even on that property. And then whenever there's a tenant turnover, there's a couple thousand dollars. Whenever there's a vacancy or, or, you know, repair, that costs a little bit of money. So I actually lose money on that, but I pay the mortgage down by several thousand every month. So in other words, right now today, it is a four savings account, 30 or 25, 24 years from today, it'll be paid off. And I won't, my tenant would have paid that mortgage for me over those years, essentially, sort of. Gotcha. It's like, I'm- yeah. So do you get, I mean, because this is a tough topic. I mean, I'm not, you know, I bring this up because it's, it's an important thing that you guys are not alone in this, right? There's a lot of people out there who are in a similar situation and they probably are, and I'm guessing you guys have had this conversation with your spouses or, or, or others like, ah, do, you know, do we get rid of this thing? It's upside down. You know, it keeps kind of coming back, keeps coming back. Like, what do we do? You know, these conversations happen amongst other investors, guys, whoever's right. listening. I mean, so, so, you know, recognize A, you're not alone in the situation, and B, you know, everybody's going to have their own kind of reasoning for what they do. And the question is, is your reasoning sound or are you doing it because you're emotionally attached? And I, I think if you're doing it because of some kind of sound reasoning, Brandon, for savings account, it's not the greatest reason, but it's a reason enough, right? You know, Glenn, yours is you get the opportunity to go down, write it off, go to Florida, have fun, work on the tan a little bit. Cool. You know, but if you don't have reason, it's like, oh, well, but I'm, 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 should you be holding on still? If I, if you were an outsider talking to you, would you say hold on or get rid of it? Both of you guys. I'm at the point now where it's back to about break even, but okay. I've got a, a year round renter who's been there almost four years. He's a yep. 
uh, white collar realtor type guy, you know, and, and he's just low maintenance and he pays me sometimes two months at a time when, if he's going to be traveling and it's just, it's just sitting there and, and the market's coming back. And so, you know, I'm not emotionally attached to it, but if I was someone else and I had one money loser across the country and I could write a check of some sort and get out of it and move on, lesson learned, I probably would do that. But a lot of people, they took out those second mortgages and then they went and bought motorcycles and whatever else they bought with them. Yep. And, and then it all collapsed and they bankruptcy and things like that. So, you know, we just didn't want to do that. We realized we need to keep good credit while we're building our portfolio. So we just sucked it up for a few hundred dollars a, a month to just kept going and and um and now we're back to where if we wanted to sell it it would be no problem but um it's like the path of least resistance um, i got other things to do yeah <laughs> there you go well and, and for me i think that you could actually kind of boil it down to a mathematical equation right like if it to- if it cost me ten thousand dollars to get rid of this property so i no longer have to deal with it essentially i'm saying i'm investing ten thousand dollars of my cash in order to earn the $200 a month on average I'm losing on that property. So, you know, $10,000, $200 a month, it's 2400 that's 24% return on investment. Am I better off with the 24% return on investment off of paying that? Maybe, but if you add an appreciation on that potential appreciation or loan pay down, which is what I'm doing right now, it actually works out pretty well. So, um, I guess... I and I probably, love that, by the way. That's that's the mathematical like, look at it. Well, I I don't know if your math is right. I I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> yeah, I did it kind of quick but, here, but, live, but, but but I think that's awesome. I mean, that's a really good calculus for for you know how to how to uh, figure it out. It's going to cost you to sell. So does and, that make sense? And I think you know like. One thing I tell people a lot when they screw up on, not they screw up, just they bought a deal early and it doesn't turn out today very well, whether it's the market or whatever, is, is use that as a springboard to do better next time, right? So if you buy a property that loses $100 a month you know, in, in cash flow, okay, well, use that lesson and go buy one that earns 200 and positive. And then now you're, you know, you're up by one, you know, like, and, and you can do that. So, uh, and then jumping back to what you said earlier, Glenn, I want to get to that topic of using a line of credit to buy a, another investment property. And so that's what you did. Now, back then, you could really easily get a line of credit on investment properties too. That's a little bit more difficult. Uh, but being that's the entire chapter in my book, I figure I want to get your uh, opinion on it. You know, what are, your, what are your thoughts on that? How does that even work? Maybe from a stupid, simple standpoint, somebody who has never heard of that concept before, what are we even talking about? I have been getting lines of credit established. Uh, what you, the best time anybody will tell you is to do it when you don't need it. Yep. Because if you go to them and say, hey, I got a deal, I need this, it, it just can't happen fast enough. So get your lines uh, set up beforehand. Now, that particular one, that was they gave me a $90,000 line of credit based on that equity in the condo. And it was interest only, and it was for like 15 years or something. It was just really good terms. So I used that to buy four properties. Well, when I got to about the fourth property, I was up to 72000 and that's when the bank went, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> we're not sure we're really secured on this loan. And I was laughing because I couldn't believe they gave me the money. But <laughs> so, so, so I bought four bread and butter properties here in Cedar Rapids. And you know, I make money on every one of those every month, you know, except when there's a, a new roof to put on or something, which will happen. But uh, so I just kept paying that minimum payment, minimum payment. And then, then one day I refinanced from 25% down to 15% down on basically the whole portfolio. And Wound up with a bunch of cash, and I just went back and paid off that line, and it's so it's gone. Nice, but uh, but in the meantime, I establish other lines of credit, and and I actually use those, exercise them just so I've got them there. If I if I'm using cash all the time and I don't exercise a line of credit, I'm afraid it'll go away on me. So yep. So so sometimes I'll pay these people some interest to take say fifty thousand and put it toward a deal, 
and then a couple of weeks or a month later refinance it and then pay them back. And then I wait a little while, then I ask them for more money. Nice. So is is that a standard practice for those people who don't know how lines of credit work? I mean, if, if say you get a line of credit for a hundred grand, you know, they give it to you for, I don't know, five, 10 years and you're one and a half and you haven't touched it, they might take it away. Is that right? I think that's true. Uh, I've been told and I've read that that's what you should do to, to keep it going and, and make it have them grow it, you know, so uh, you never know what you're going to need the money for. So it's just better to have the access to it. And so I throw them a little interest every now and then and just keep. So, so maybe someday when there's a really big deal, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm in a position to do something about it. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Just to give another like real life, real life example of how you can use a line of credit. This is something that just popped in my head this morning, honestly. Like I was thinking, you know, I have a pretty decent amount of equity in my house, not a massive amount, but I owe like 80,000 on my house and it's worth about 150. So I have like, you know, it, it, with a good appraisal, seven or was that 70,000? Yeah. $70,000 yeah. worth of equity. Now a, a bank might give me half of that. Let's say, let's say I can go and take out $30,000 in a line of credit. What I'm hoping to do, and I think is take that $30,000 and use that as a 20% down payment on my next house or on a rental property, but I kind of want to move to a better, you know, a little bit bigger house that I can, I don't know, have a piano in because my wife plays piano. So anyway, I might take that $30,000 line of credit, go put that on a down payment as a, as another primary residence for myself and then have a house for no money down. I mean, it's just another strategy. You can use a line of credit as a means to acquire a different property. Then if that one, if I built some good equity into it, I could go get a line of credit on that one later on and then go do that to the next one. I mean, you can kind of do that a yeah. number of times before you're, you know, provided know. you have the income to, provided to get you have the, the income to get those on, loans. Yep. And every should, time it gets more difficult, sort of. You should get a, a boat and a motorcycle while you're exactly. At it. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, and that's actually a really good point, right? So, like a lot, like you said earlier, a lot of people would do this like over leverage thing. Like they take all their money out and then they they'd invest in or they'd buy cars or vacations or whatever. It's the idea of taking out your asset, which is your equity, and then buying a liability with it. It's that whole rich dad or cash flow quadrant thing of going the wrong direction with that. And uh, moving on, let's get on, let's get out of this. So fascinating uh, discussion. Bro. Yeah, yeah, I love that stuff. Um, how many deals do you currently have? Like, how many properties do you own, and what are they? Uh, the condo and twenty-seven single-family homes. Twenty-seven. That's a good number of single-family homes. Do you manage those? Oh, go ahead. All in Iowa, really quick. Yeah. Uh, they are. Uh, I've, I've, I've downloaded a couple times where I, I knew of something out of state. Uh, somebody, maybe you knew the house through a family member or something. I bought a house in Missouri. It was a foreclosure. But, you know, as I've sort of refined my business model, it just, these one-offs here and one-offs there uh, just doesn't make as much sense. So I'm, I'm here in Cedar Rapids. I have uh, probably a dozen properties over in Davenport, which is about an hour and 15 minutes away. And it's just, if there's an emergency, it's a lot easier. But my, my plan is to automate it a little bit more. Um, and empower people and get processes so that, you know, I don't have to, I, I don't fix anything unless it's just obvious that I, Hey, it's something simple and I'm here and I have a, a screwdriver. I'll put that doorknob back on for you. But you know, I don't, if it's anything else, I usually just have the uh, handyman take care of it. So. And what's, what's the average uh, acquisition cost on, on properties in, in Iowa and Davenport, isn't that where, uh, isn't the, what quad cities or something? Isn't that where? That's correct. The, yep. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, gambling mecca up there, right? Oh, I guess so. <laughs> There's some casinos. I try to stay out of them, so. <laughs> nice. but but it's too much fun. Nice. Well, uh, I'd say I'm I'm looking for houses usually in the 90 to 100k. You know, maybe give or take a little bit. I have a few that are more like 150, 160, but I don't like to get down into the two percent properties. We have a part of town where you can buy a forty thousand dollar house and rent it out for 
eight or nine hundred dollars, but the hassle factor just isn't worth it to me. So I, I provide a little nicer properties, a little nicer neighborhood, and, and, and run it out like that. And your turnovers less. It's just, it's just like I said, a lot less hassle. Yeah, I like that the hassle factor. I don't think I've ever heard it phrase like that. Um, Use it. Yeah, I, I'm gonna. I'm, I'll write a book. The hassle factor. No, I mean that's a discussion that is very popular on the Bigger Pockets blog. There's a new post about that every month or so. Usually Ben Labovich is behind it. <laughs> and like why I don't, you know, he's got like several, why I don't buy $30,000 junkers or fixers or whatever. And maybe can we kind of expand on that a little bit more? I mean, you, what do you mean by hassle factor? I rent mostly to organizations and companies. Like I think I've told you about that where um, it's not an individual or a family. It's, uh, it's an institution or a company where they provide services for people with special needs. Yeah. So instead of dealing with, Hey, I lost my job, or they cut my hours, or this or that, you know, or um, hey, the roof's leaking. I buy a nice house, keep it maintained, uh, not necessarily fancy, but then I, I rent to mostly to these companies uh, who then kind of manage everything. And so it's like business to business communications. Everything's with an email, and it's not a bunch of late night texts and phone calls and, you know, toilets stopped up and that sort of thing. So That's- I, I'm just. I'm like, uh, I'm not the most ambitious guy in the world, so I'm not, you know. <laughs> How did you even get into that? Like the idea. Yeah, we got to I mean, talk about this. Yeah, because this seems sure. this seems much better. I mean, I mean, my tenants are often a hassle. I mean, I rent to not quite like the thirty, forty thousand dollars houses, but you know, the multifamilies are kind of in that group. There can be a hassle sometimes to deal with, but the idea of renting to a company like this and, and both me and Josh used to work in these industries, you know, like I used to do the overnight shift. That's when I discovered real estate. I did uh-huh. the overnight shift at a group home. There's like four uh, developmentally disabled adults that lived in this home. And I did the overnight shift and I was flipping through channels, watching flip this house. And that's how this like kind of at the very beginning all started. But, and, and I was, I was teaching high school at a special ed school where a good number of our kids lived in group homes. And yeah. it was, it was the same kind right. of thing. And the, the homes were owned and and I don't know if in our situation the homes were owned by the organization. The organization was running from an individual like yourself, but I think it's a fascinating model. Yeah. Really quickly on the on the hassle factor. I mean, I think the hassle factor takes into account things like lower income properties. You're going to have higher turnover, higher evictions, potentially greater odds of damage, that kind more of stuff. More phone but calls. <laughs> more phone calls. Yeah. But you're but you're talking about. Even taking it a step further, you're, you're right. not even dealing with the hassle factor on the blue collar, less drama, less drama thing. You're talking like least possible drama. I'm going to straight to a business entity who's got a level of professionalism that's going to supposedly considerably right. higher. How'd you fall into that? My, my wife, after several years of being uh, investing in real estate, she decided to quit her job and become a realtor and thought that would be a nice um, partnership. You know, So she's still a realtor today. And one of her colleagues was on the board at one of these nonprofit organizations, and they were having uh, issues with several of the houses. They have like two dozen houses, and four of them they weren't happy with for, for some reason or another. I mean, it could be that the, the folks have been there so long they can't do stairs anymore, or it could be that um, uh, landlords raising the rent or whatever, whatever their issue is. Um, so I used that line of credit to buy four houses in 2008. So I bought Four, four houses for that institution um, in 2008. And basically they would say, well, this group of guys needs to be near a bus line. And, you know, they, they go to the, take the bus and they go someplace every day. Uh, another house, they might say, uh, that doesn't matter to us, but we can't have stairs. So you might, or, or we've got a, 
you know, you might even have to remove a, a gas stove and put in an electric stove for, because they don't feel like it's safe to have a gas one. So whatever their special needs are. So they tell me what the requirements are. And then I go out and find houses. So my wife and I, we go out and find the house. And we give them a short list that meet our requirements, that meet their apparent needs. And then we say, well, what about this one? What about this one? And they say, yeah, this would be great. If you, you know, we negotiate the rent. And then I buy the house. And then they move in. And I've only had one house where they've moved out since uh, March of 2008 when we bought the first one. So oh, wow. I, I don't even I don't interview the um, the people who are actually going to be living in the house. So I don't deal with applications or background checks or or any of those things. So wow, wow, this is this is this is what I'm talking about here. This <laughs> yeah. is this is called easy breezy landlording, man. I this told is. you I wasn't that <laughs> ambitious, you know. <laughs> wow, wow. So now you you said 27 SFRs. Are all those now uh, filled by folks from from this organization or others? Or well, 25 of the 28 properties I rent to some sort of organization. No which, kidding. Which I'm dealing with five different organizations now. So, so we started with the one and. Then we bought a fifth one for them the next year, and then I got laid off somewhere in the middle of all that. And then, uh, <laughs> then we a couple years went by, and we just picked up one here, one there for regular, you know, just found a good deal, so we bought it. But then I started saying, you know, I'm comparing notes between mentally between dealing with this uh, company and dealing with these individuals, and I think I like this better. And so then I started networking a little bit say, and finding other organizations that might have similar needs. And so then these people all know each other because it's an industry. And so they go to the same trainings and things like that. So you start networking and getting referrals and hopefully develop a good reputation. So next thing you know, you can, you can say, hey, uh, customer, I, uh, company A, I work with company B, C, and D and drop a few names and they can check your references if they want and then they can feel comfortable letting you help them with their housing needs. So that's wow, kind of, so. great idea! Really, yeah. really great idea. Now, so don't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah, apparently, no, nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. This is the Josh and Brandon show. We have we have my mom listening and yep. Brandon's wife. But uh, yeah, no, yeah, okay, she stopped so, a long time ago, Josh. Yeah, so did my mom. So, well. You've got these organizations. The rent checks come in regularly. Have you had any challenges with tenants, at, or, or is that not even an issue because the organization deals with them? They they kick them out and they'll throw somebody else in if there's an issue, or how does that work? They deal with the tenants. I I try. I mean, I interact. If I go over there, they get to know you. If it's like there's one, it's literally four or five houses down. So, you know, if it's anything simple, I go check it out myself. It's just so convenient. But they. You know, I don't. They don't have to fill out applications. The individuals, uh, I rent it to the institution or the company right, that's right. responsible. They actually all but one check. Everything else is electronic. I mean, I literally get electronic funds transfer for you know five rents for this in, this company, and here's fourteen for this one, and here's you know. So I don't even have to collect the checks. Um, so, um, and then as far as like managing what's going on, they, they handle all the issues because I'm not a you know caregiver. I have, I have no opinion on that, but. Yeah. But there are instances where, depending on the level of uh, <clears throat> functioning uh, level of the tenant, they, you know, they might have outbursts and punch a hole in the wall and that sort of thing. So we just have a standing agreement that uh, don't tell me about it, just fix it and <laughs> don't bother That's funny. me. Yeah, so they know they damage it, they need to fix it, and so they just <laughs> take care of it. That's what I was going to ask because yeah. yeah, I know in when I was in that, ind- I mean, there were things breaking all the time, right? Like, I mean, especially, you know, yeah, some of the clients were just, I mean, they were just violent and, right. um, 
one of the guys would just break his window all the time. Like, I, I mean, it, again, if but you just have that, there's yeah, an upside to that. Yeah, I mean, my, they take my, care my of son it. Has, my son has a house that he rents to the same my same customers, and one guy kept breaking out the the windows. And when the when he broke the window, they I mean, they literally broke every window in the house. And the, the company came back and had to put all new. Well, you can't get old crappy wood windows. Unbreakable anymore. windows. Yeah, so they put in nice double pane vinyl <laughs> windows, and and they knock holes in the door, and so they would go get solid oak doors so that he couldn't yep. do that anymore. And so you know, he's they've slowly renovated that house for him, but that's yeah. <laughs> that, that's really an outlier. Uh, most yeah. of them are you know not like that at all. Yep. It's just you always talk about the horror story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> usually, it's just month after month of getting paid and dealing with small maintenance issues that I usually have someone else do. Yeah, so, fascinating. Nice. Yeah. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you about to sell a property? Wait like 60 seconds because this could save you thousands. Our friends at 1031 Pros have saved their clients more than half a billion dollars, with a B, in taxes with 1031 tax-deferred exchanges. With the 1031 exchange, you can say goodbye to the huge capital gains taxes when selling and roll your property's profit into another investment that could make you even more. Whether you're an individual investor, part of a larger group, or a title or real estate agent, 1031 Pros is ready to help. Trust me, I've done 1031 exchanges on multiple properties before, and it has saved me tens of thousands in taxes, if not more. With over 30 years of experience, 1031 Pros has handled over 20,000 audit-free exchanges, and they specialize in all types of exchanges, delayed, simultaneous, reverse, and improvement exchanges in all 50 states. And right now, Bigger Pockets listeners can get $250 off any exchange by visiting my1031pros.com slash BP. That's my1031pros.com slash BP to get $250 off today. Oh, and make sure to mention Bigger Pockets when you call. They take care of our people over there. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform 
slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. Okay, um... Well, how do you find deals? I mean, how are you finding these properties? Just because your wife's an agent, is just all MLS? Or are you doing direct mail or anything fancy like that? This is a completely 180 out of phase with what people are doing as normal investors. So instead of finding the good deal somehow and then going out and finding the tenant, I mean, we start with the tenant and the, oh, the layout, the location, everything. So one of the downsides is I pay retail pretty much for everything. But you can still use investor principles. Uh, I want to tell you about the, the last deal I did where I was trying to find a house. Uh, they had a different town, Iowa City down the road, very expensive. So I found one that was very dated. It was an estate, and it was $99,000. And I'd been looking for a, a three-bedroom, couldn't find anything that was affordable. So uh, I took the uh, people that worked for, for that company over to the house, and I said, now imagine – you know, fresh paint and imagine, you know, updated fixtures and carpet and new vinyl and some, some appliances. And, and so, um, this is the second time I've done this for them. Uh, so they said, okay. And so it it took me a month. I had, well, you know, I just wrote the checks and said, yeah, we're going to do this, this, and this, and had a guy do it. And we, we actually got the house for 85 K because we did cash and then put about $10,000 in carpet and paint and light fixtures and things like that. And that's ninety five thousand. It appraised for one twenty six. I, I went to the bank. I got a loan for it could have been up to a hundred, but I just said, "Give me the ninety five I've got in it." So then I got a mortgage for ninety five, and then I've got thirty one thousand dollars worth of equity, uh, a satisfied tenant with everything's fresh and new on the inside, and I really was out of pocket, no money. Love it. Yeah, but. I like to talk about those because just to say, hey, I go into the MLS and I buy something, pay top dollar for it's not very yeah. impressive. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What about what about rents? Are, are they are they paying market rent or are they paying slightly above because you kind of have to go a little bit above and beyond to make the property friendly? And you're you're really you know you're kind of like a personal shopper, so to speak, for for people, right? I mean, you go and hey, we need this kind of property with with these things, and I'll okay, I'll get it for you. I'm going to say that it's market rent, but that, you know, that's that's a I'm within a hundred dollars of market rent on any house. Okay. So I mean, the last thing you want to do is look like you're taking advantage of of these nonprofits or anything. So, so yeah, so you know, it's always a thumb in the air. It's like, okay, is this should this be a thousand or a thousand fifty or would you know nine seventy five, you know that kind of thing. But you know, I. It's a niche, it's a nice niche, and if you if you charge a fair rent, keep the house up nice, you get good referrals, you you eliminate vacancy, you eliminate turnover, and uh, that sort of thing, and that's that's worth something to me. So I'm not necessarily making more money and higher rent, but I'm I'm making it, and I just when I go to a bank and say I've got 28 <clears throat> properties, I haven't had a vacancy in five years, they just <laughs> prove it, you know. So I have to show all my tax returns. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just. It doesn't. I have to explain it every time. So I think most investors would call call you on BS on that one too. And it's, and it's true. I love it. I mean, this yeah. is really really a cool strategy, a cool niche. You know, there's there's not a lot of room for competition though. I mean, how many people can come into your town and and take over? Not not a lot of people. You know, so that's the cool thing about you know focusing on that niche and and starting to own it. And I'm assuming you know there's opportunity around the country for 
other folks listening to do something like this. But you know, they better not show up in Davenport. <laughs> they got the army well, uh, general actually, to go that, after. That's right. Well, I was a sergeant, but still, uh, you know, close <laughs> enough. They do all the work. <laughs> it, it, it is a, it's a bit of a risk. I had to think about that, whether I wanted to go public with what I'm doing because I kept it really quiet for a long time. Yeah. But, but I think after you've been doing it long enough and you've got a good reputation and you can get referrals and if you said, Hey, I heard this is a good deal. And you went to my customer and said, I want you to start moving people because I want to collect the rent. Right. If they're not unhappy, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. Right. So now at, if people want to do this other places, I, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do the podcast to encourage people to keep an open mind when they're dealing with uh, an organization like this because it's horse of a different color and you don't really understand. Hey, where do you work? Let me see your W two. What's your credit score? You know, and it doesn't really fit into that box. Yeah, but but it's got some tremendous upsides. So you know, well, and you're doing good to society as a whole too, which is which is really I think one of the coolest parts of it. Yeah, Al- altruistic. I don't know. I'll let you say that. That's cool. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I have a, my, my in-laws actually have a duplex and one of their units, they rent out to a, uh, like a religious organization of missionaries. Right. So like they move new people in every, I think it's four to six months or whatever. And, but they have a contract with the religious organization and they haven't had a vacancy in what, three, four years, never any problems. I mean, it's just, it's just flawless. And I'm very jealous of that rental that they have. Yep. It's just, it's the easiest Easy breezy, as you put it, Josh, like landlord experience, because yeah, I, it, it definitely is a cool niche, like invest uh, landlording to uh, companies that then rent it out to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's a lot like that. Another downside though for an investor is you, you, if you want to grow your business really fast, you may not have the opportunity in your area because there may not just be enough people to work with. So it, it, it's maybe an addition to your investing strategy, you know, sure. as opposed to you know, jumping with both feet because it, it's taken a while to kind of put this together, but but now I'm I'm full time as a, as of the uh, first of the year. So oh cool, I was just going to ask uh, that. That was my congrats. next question: Is do you still Thank work you. a full time job? You. Yeah, no, cool. I was I wasn't even working a full time job when I had a full time job. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was working uh, from home. I I was working from home as a, like an account manager and uh, in aerospace, and so I had plenty of time to switch back and forth between my work email and my you know, hotmail and podcast and sit on the front porch and listen to podcasts and watch cars go by. And, nice. you know, was, I, I love it, but, uh, and, and it was, it was a good job and a good company and all that. It was a very amicable departure, but I just kind of at the point where, yeah, I'm not excited about that anymore. I've been doing that yeah. for 30 years. So yeah. cool. fantastic. Oh, that's you. great. Really, really cool stuff. Well, I think it's time to move forward. It is. Brandon. It is time for the fire round, which is sponsored by, the Bigger Pockets Live webinars hosted weekly by me. That's right. If you've not attended one of my weekly webinars, you are missing out, my friends. Last week, we talked about how to quit your job through the power of real estate. This week, we're talking about how to find, finance, and analyze deals. And who knows what we'll be talking about next week? Well, you can find out what we're going to be talking about by going to biggerpockets.com slash webinar and signing up there. And we'll continually update that page with the newest webinar. Again, that is biggerpockets.com slash webinar. And with that... Let's get to the fire round. It's time for the fire round. All right, these questions from the fire round come straight from the Bigger Pockets forums, and we're going to fire them at you, Glenn. Are you ready? Can you handle I'm the ready. heat? All right. I'm ready. All right, number one. Uh, what are some key factors real estate investors look for in homes? Like what makes a rundown home valuable? Bedrooms, locations, et cetera. Like what should an investor look for to provide value? 
I think it varies by market. Obviously, that's a cop out. But uh, <laughs> for for instance, the the house that I was just telling you about that deal, which was like a no money down deal, I saw that there was a bedroom. It could be a bedroom in the basement. It had the window and the foundation, and the rest was just like some drywall and a vent and a light fixture. And so I was able to turn a three bedroom into a four bedroom, and and that's how I was able to get that much equity. So looking to force some kind of equity like that uh, is is a good way of doing it, and. You know, like I, somebody was just asking me about a two bedroom. I said I just would probably stay away from two bedrooms if there were three bedrooms to buy. You know, and just yep. try to find houses that have the most utility that are maybe a little underloved and uh, fix them up a little bit. So. Yeah, right I on. love that. And right th- what you said there, going from like two to three or three to four, especially two to three. If there's that third bedroom, that's the number one thing I look mm-hmm. for in a property. Is if it says two bedroom, I say, is there a way to make it three? Because that adds so much value in my neighborhood oh, yeah. anyway. So, and, and if possible, um, like even if the organization saying, hey, this group can do stairs, I still look for a slab because I can't. And, you know, maybe the next person that moves in to take someone's place does have a stair problem. So I try to look for the most utility. Yeah, uh, smart. I love it. Right on, right on. All right, well, next question. When working with a foreclosure, how do you find out which bank owns the property? Well, that's whoever has it listed. I mean, I've I've bought a few like that, but there was a sign in the yard and it says, you know, call this person. I know that person, the person who does Uh, all the foreclosures. So let me ask you, let me ask you a better question. No, I think the question is, no, because I, I I I hardly ever reading this. Yeah. Because you hardly ever know who the bank is. You know who the real estate agent is that's selling it. But the typically the bank, the only way I know to find it is to look up on them. I mean, look up on the county records or you can call the agent and say, Hey, what bank is this? I was but, just looking at one that had a sign in the yard and no, no, no sign yet. And so I found out it was a look to the assessors that said something about Wells Fargo. So I called Wells Fargo. They gave me the reo.wellsfargo.com yeah. and you can look at their prop. Um, but I still never figured out who owned it because they said, oh, we're managing for, for someone else. We, yeah. we don't really own it. So I, I didn't get very far with that. So I'll be interested to find out what the. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, I, I can't answer that. <laughs> I found that I found that as well though. There's a few properties I could no matter what I did I could not find out who owned it. Like ultimately owned it cuz it just it was yeah, anyway, it's possible. Well, but I think the crux of the question was the second half of it is I didn't understand the damn yeah, question. So, <laughs> should yeah. you even contact them? Like is that are you supposed to contact the bank to negotiate a foreclosure? Um or do you just work through the real estate agent? I think that was kind of the I'm well, guessing I'll that answer, was their gist. I'll answer it this way. I sure. always just use the real estate agent, but yep. um, yeah. Me too. And, and as a heads up, you know, since we're talking about this, uh, about eight, nine years ago, I think nine, maybe 10 years ago, I started a uh, directory of, of banks that, that offer uh, REO listings. So you can literally go directly to the bank's website and see what properties that they have available for sale. The and, irony is uh, now most of those websites just point and say, talk to your real estate agent or talk to this which real estate agent. But, a lot of them do, but you can still pick up, you know, you can still kind of access and say, oh, okay, here's, here's, uh, um, REOs. And, and obviously those, those properties don't have any liens on them. So, you know, they're, they're yep. not necessarily good deals, but, you know, odds of, uh, finding something are, are decent. Uh, you can find that at biggerpockets.com slash REO. It's biggerpockets.com slash REO, or we'll have, a link on the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 110. Perfect. All right, next question. What is the difference between assessed value and appraised value on a property? The assessed value is what the city or county wants to base their taxes on. You know, So that's the assessed value. But the market value and what it would appraise for, those are two different things too. So theoretically, it's going to you get an appraisal. It should be what the market value is. Uh, it could be above or below the assessed value. 
but uh, I will. The house I live in now was assessed at fifty, at least fifty thousand dollars more. It was like one ninety five, and we bought it for one twenty five. <laughs> and we we have them come out the day we bought it, and and they lowered it fifty thousand dollars. So our uh, our taxes went down about twelve hundred dollars a year, hundred bucks a month. Wow, nice. Uh, so there can be very it could vary very wildly, you know. Yeah. But uh, a credit union I was using was letting me use the assessed value if the assessed value was better than uh, really than the, yeah, the purchase price. So I've done some very low money down deals. I think that guy's boss has caught on. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and there's a really good tip there, which is you yeah. know uh, hitting hitting up the assessor and, and letting them know and, and kind of fighting uh, for the valuation because there's a really good good tip there, which is going to the assessor and, and fighting the valuation because you you can actually negotiate it down. I, I think there there's uh, something that a lot of people didn't know that they can do. Uh, so right. if you were not aware, definitely uh, keep that in mind going forward. Yeah. I I know in my area, our assessed values are way lower than our property values. And they do that because I don't know why they do that. I think it's because they don't want people calling and complaining. So like my, my house is a per, or assessed at like, I think 60,000 right now or 50,000, even though like I paid, well, I paid like 60,000, but then I fixed it up and whatever else. But like, you know, it's worth 150. They're typically a half to even a third of what the actual value is, which is crazy. But then what I find is certain banks will only go off the assessed value. So I go to the bank and I'm saying, you know, I need to, I want a loan on my house. They're like, okay, well, it looks like the assessed value is 50,000. That's the only number we will use. And I'm like, but that doesn't, I mean, that's ridiculous. They only use that number just to base taxes off of. That's it. Right. And uh, I can't convince, I mean, it's usually like the big national banks have done that to me. Um, which, which is, is why, I, you work which why private, I work with private local, private money lenders yeah. and local banks. Local. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's exactly what I do. I I wouldn't deal with a big bank like that. They yeah. they just have so many rules. You, if they're keeping the house, the, the loan in house, they have a lot more flexibility uh, as to how they do it. Yep, I love portfolio lenders for that reason. Anyway, okay, last question. All right, Glenn, last question. Not a question I would ask you, but uh, I've been told I have to. This is the okay. most popular question in the forums of this week. Well, but you know, some but. people like asking, answering, <laughs> and others, it's none of your damn business. So, uh, <laughs> what kind of car do you drive, and why? Is it new, used, and how does this play into your investing? I actually bought a, a truck. So, you know, when I, when I first, well, I just felt like it was a better fit because uh, I did have a 325i bright red that I was driving around and then I would go to a, a rental property and tell them I, they couldn't have a new whatever and then I'd try to get a shovel out of my back seat <laughs> and put a thing in my, you know what I mean? It was just, it just kind of sent the wrong message and it wasn't very utilitarian. So, I drive a 2012 Toyota Tundra. Okay. Yeah. I love I love Tundras. I, yeah. I want a Tundra. Anyway, it was a fascinating discussion. There's 168 right now comments on that thread of what car do you drive and why. <laughs> like, it's just a fascinating discussion on like, uh, I don't know, what people spend their money on investor-wise. It's kind of cool. So check it out, people. I'll put a show, link to it in the show notes. But uh, awesome. all right, moving on. By, by, by the way, way, I don't own that truck. An LLC does. They just let me drive it. Oh, there so, we go. Just like we talked about, us. we talked yeah. about that last week uh, with uh, with uh, Scott about the attorney about putting things into LLCs and all that. So if people haven't listened to that one, make sure you check that show out. It was fascinating. Uh, Biggerpodcast.com slash show one oh nine. But all right, moving on. We are going to the world famous famous four. All right, these questions we ask everyone, and I know you listen to our show, Glenn, so you know what's coming. Number one. What is your favorite real estate book? 
I haven't read it yet. It's right here in my. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Glenn, Glenn, what book is that, Glenn? What's, uh, for, for the people who are listening to the podcast, it's Brandon's book. Oh, nice. <laughs> Which they can I, get I, at biggerpockets.com slash no money. I, uh, I just shameless plug for you. That's yeah, a thank you. Now I don't have to do um, it. Well, I, 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 everything goes back to the Rich Dad Poor Dad book, which I try to get people to, to read, but um, just as a place to start. And I used to buy those books like you used to give them to people, and they would never comment on it. So I just quit doing that. And yep. I said, you know, help yourself. And yep. so yeah. uh, I just finished uh, one that was very tedious. It was uh, How I Turned a Thousand into a Million in Real Estate in My Spare Time. And it was yep. 500 pages. Woo, tough, but. <laughs> If you needed proof that it could be done, he'll show you every number. <laughs> yep, that was Nick- Nickerson, right? I love yeah. that book. Yeah, William I love that Nickerson, book. Yeah. yeah, it is yeah. a it is a longer book, but I really like that strategy. He's yeah. got kind of the trading yeah. up thing that I'm a big fan of the hybrid investing. I call it. So, yep. uh, cool, um, okay. Josh. All right, how about business? What is your favorite business book and why? You know, I don't read business books more than once, and it's usually required reading in a class or something, but. The, I, I did. There was one called The Goal. I don't think I've heard anyone mention G, G-O-A-L, The Goal. And it's by a guy named Goldratt, G-O-L-D-R-A-D-T. It's like from the 84, I think. And it's about uh, a theory of constraints. So it's more of a process management, program management, like you're running a factory kind of a thing. But it talks about constraints and uh, it, it uses Socratic reasoning and things. And I don't know, it just was interesting to me, even though I, I'm a sales guy. I love new book suggestions. What about hobbies? What do you do for fun? Well, the uh, training for the... Well, <laughs> <laughs> what are we training for? Training, training for marathons and my Mensa meetings keep me pretty busy. So. <laughs> wow. So hard, hard to know if that's the wise-ass Glenn McCrory. Oh, yeah. Nick, that's, McCrory. You I can't say your name right. Or, no, no I, what do you really do? Uh, I really, no, really cause you're not a Mensa guy, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I'm not doubting that you're a Mensa guy. Yeah. I want you to be a Mensa guy. I you hear they throw cool ask, parties. You, you didn't have to ask about the running part. I thank you. <laughs> so, I, actually, uh, I'm doing less and less with with work. You know, my work wasn't really uh, that that time consuming. But uh, so so real estate is kind of like my hobby. Uh, I really enjoy it, and it's one of those. Hey, if you do what you love, you never work. So. Uh, real estate's kind of my hobby. Now, that being said, you know, golf, cigars, you name it. You know, I I find lots of fun things to do, and we did, we spent a month down in uh, Florida, my wife and I, this this past uh, winter. Nice. Uh, where I called my boss and told him I quit. He <laughs> did it from Florida. I did. Yeah. By the way, here's a picture on Instagram. <laughs> I really did. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. My parents that's are good. in Florida right now, and they're like mid fifties, just like Josh said. They're going there to. They're not living there though. They're on. They're on a vacation, but yeah, they're going for a month. So I guess Great. that's what you do when you're, uh, you know, older. <laughs> Unencumbered by. Unencumbered. W- yes. There you go. There you go. There All go. right. Uh, my final question. Uh, what do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? I think it's two things. I think, first of all, you have to have a reason to want to change your life. And, you know, real estate was kind of the, it was the answer to the equation. It wasn't like, hey, I want to get in real estate. It's like, hey, here's where I'm at. And I don't want to, I think I know where I'm going. And I, how can I change that? And so I kind of used the the big pile theory. You know, everybody put their money in a pile and i and when I finally got to some people in real estate, you're like, well, that's something I think I can do. I can't inherit it. I can't uh, be the CEO of a large corporation. So 
real, I started focusing on real estate. And so you, you have to have a reason to want to change your life. And then secondly, when you realize, when you see like in this William Nickerson book, hey, you can do it. It's not rocket science. You just got to start doing it and do it. And you know, really believe that that's going to work. So anyway, that, that's kind of what I think. It's just you have to have a, a, an impetus to get started and then you have to stick to it. And when you, you know, rent your condo to your sister, you need to pick yourself up and <laughs> go buy property number two and number three and try not to make the same mistakes over and over again. So I love it. Right on. Fabulous, man. That's great. And we know you're not going to make that mistake again. Uh, <clears throat> you didn't have to plug it twice. I mean, I know your sister gave you permission, but uh, you, you, you know, you, well, you took it a little farther, Glenn. I'm just saying, st- <laughs> stick with it. You know, I have, other, I have other mistakes. We just didn't get to those. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, man. Well, where can people find out more about you? Where can they find you? Professionally, I would just say Bigger Pockets. I'm, I get on there, you know, a few times a week and listen to almost all the podcasts. So. So I'm on there quite a bit, and uh, I've, when I put the old "I quit my job" post up, I got a lot of a lot of uh, traction on that one. So anybody that just said, you know, congratulations, I didn't respond to. But if people had questions, I tried to answer every one of them. So right I, on. I, I like to like to help. Cool, that's great. And people who can connect with you if they go to the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 110, we'll have a link to your profile. They can send you a call request and uh, get to know you a little more there. Great, perfect. Thanks for having me hey. on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the show. We we really, really do appreciate it. And, and again, I, I love the idea. I think it's great, this whole renting to organizations as a means uh, for avoiding the you know, the, the hell factor or, or, or I forget what you called it, but uh, asshole yeah, factor. I th- asshole <laughs> factor. There you go. That's great. That's great. Well, thanks again, Glenn. We'll see you around. All right. Thanks. All right, guys. That was Glenn McCrory. Making all kinds of moves, buying real estate that is managed by corporations and tenanted by corporate. It's just a really cool idea. It is a very cool strategy. I really want to like, I think I'm going to go make some phone calls. I know a lot of the group homes in my area. I'm just going to yeah. ask them, hey, you guys looking for any new properties? I mean, Not it, a bad idea. It's a two minute phone call and you never know what might happen. So there you go. Great, great, great. You know what? There's like your action to there take today, right guys? Yep. You know, try that out. Do the same thing. Yep. Do it. Awesome. All right, guys. Listen, thanks for being a part of our world. Thanks for listening to the show. Show notes again are biggerpockets.com slash show110. If you're not already on biggerpockets.com, jump on. You get to hang out and spend time with guys like Glenn who are making things happen every single day. These are movers and shakers and doers. So get out there and connect. And uh, otherwise, you know, let us know if there's anything we can do to help you out at Bigger Pockets. Jump on the forums and ask us and we're happy to help. So thanks for being a part of our world. Thanks for listening to the show. And we will catch you next time on the world famous Bigger Pockets Pockets podcast. Podcast. (laughs) Aren't you signing off? Signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and BAM! 
instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.